Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen and today is August 3rd. Today we're going to continue in Job. Today we're going to begin chapter 2. If you'll remember, Job has lost his living, he's lost his animals, he's lost his servants, he's lost his camels, and he's lost his children. Today we're going to look at what he loses next. As we start chapter 2, we see God and the adversary speaking again. And God's like, hey, check out my servant Job. Didn't I tell you that he's a great guy, that he fears God? And the adversary says, well, yeah, that's all well and good, but he's healthy. Any man would give away anything to keep their health. So take away his health and I bet he curses you. And so God says, okay, you can start taking away his health. You can take away anything except his life. And let's take a look at what happens. Verse 7, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Okay, can we just take a second to appreciate how painful this must have been? He is covered in boils from head to foot. I have never had a boil, but I hear that they are extremely painful. And his are so bad that he takes a potsherd, meaning he takes a broken piece of pottery, and he just starts scraping his skin off, just starts scraping those boils off of him. He had to have been raw with open sores from head to toe. And I cannot even begin to imagine or understand that pain. So there's the next trial. Let's take a look at another one that I think is often overlooked. It says in verse nine, then said his wife unto him, doth thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Now, there are a couple things here that I think are important to recognize and to understand. First of all, a mom and a wife really can only be as happy as the least happy person in their family, right? That's just kind of how it is as a wife and a mother. And so I'm sure as she's seeing the pain that Job is going through both physically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally as she sees all this pain and as she's dealing with pain herself of just losing her 10 children, I can imagine her frustration and I can imagine her hurt. But let's think about this from Job's standpoint. He's lost his 10 children. He's lost his living. He's lost his wealth. He's now losing his health and he's in severe pain. And now his wife comes to him in an absolute faith crisis. I can imagine that his heart sunk, that he was hurt, that he was confused, that he didn't quite know how to proceed, but that her lack of faith here or her loss of faith here must have been pretty devastating and pretty heartbreaking for Job. I think most of us probably love someone who is dealing with or has gone through a faith crisis or a faith transition. And really, it's hard to deal with. It's hard to bear. You're constantly asking yourself, well, did I do enough? Did I testify enough? Did I help them in their faith? Why didn't I see this coming? Why didn't I intervene sooner? There are a million questions that you ask yourself, and there's a million ways that you put blame on yourself or blame on other people or blame on them sometimes. It can be a very, very taxing and emotional journey to love someone who's going through a faith crisis, but even more so when it's a spouse. When we marry our spouses in the temple, we make covenants with them and with God. And in that way, 
we are connected to God and to them. And so it can be really hard and we can begin to question things when our spouse leaves the gospel. But listen to what President Nelson teaches us. He says, if you're married to a companion who has broken his or her covenants, your willingness to let God prevail in your life will allow your covenants with God to remain intact. The Savior will heal your broken heart. The heavens will open as you seek to know how to move forward. You do not need to wander or wonder. I absolutely love that promise. That as difficult as it might be, as many questions as might arise, as the guilt may come, we don't have to wonder or wander. We can have our questions answered. We can have our faith strengthened as we turn to God for answers and not to the world. So here we see Job and we see his wife and they've gone through, for the most part, the same trials. Job is experiencing the physical boils and pain and she's not, but they're handling it totally different. In verse 10, Job says, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. So whereas she turned from God and she said, you know what, just curse God and die. He said, look, I have received so much good from God. Isn't it only fitting that I should receive some hard things too? Elder Hales once said, suffering is universal. How we react to suffering is individual. Suffering can take us one of two ways. It can be a strengthening and purifying experience combined with faith, or it can be a destructive force in our lives if we do not have the faith in the Lord's atoning sacrifice. The purpose of suffering, however, is to build and strengthen us. So here we see Job being built and being strengthened as he leans on his faith in these hard things and doesn't question his faith in these hard things. Next, we're going to see something really interesting that I think we can actually learn a lot from. Job's three friends decide that they're going to come and visit him. They've heard of all the hard things that he's going through. So it says they made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. I think it's interesting to mourn and to comfort. Notice they're not trying to put comforting first. They're not trying to excuse away his pain before they've mourned with him or try to comfort him as if he shouldn't be feeling these things before they mourn with him. So they come and when they're still a ways off, they lift up their eyes and they see him and they don't even recognize him. And when they know who he is, it says they lifted up their voice and wept and they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads towards heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights and none spake a word unto him for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, I'm not going to lie. His friends make mistakes later on, and they prove themselves to be not the greatest of friends totally. But here, they do everything right. First of all, they decide that they're just going to show up. They are going to show up to be there for their friend, to mourn with him. And when they see him, they tear their clothes, they sprinkle dust on their head, and they mourn. They weep and they cry. And then they just sit with him. They just spend that time with him. Seven days they sat while he probably wept and they didn't speak. They didn't try to make excuses. They didn't even try to comfort. 
They just sat there with him. They sat there in his pain. They sat there in his grief. They let him feel the loss. They let him hurt. They allowed him to go through what he needed to go through and not try to comfort or not try to excuse it away or not try to say, well, at least you'll have him in the eternities. They didn't try to make it better. They just sat there and they let him mourn and they mourned with him. That to me is one of the most beautiful examples of what it means to mourn with those who mourn. My friends, when someone we love is in pain or is suffering, heck, even if it's someone that we know is in pain or suffering, the best thing we can do is just show up. I think back to some of the big devastating losses that I've experienced. And I remember in particular, there was one person who just showed up. I cried on her shoulder and she didn't say anything. She just sat She just held me. We honestly didn't even know each other that well, but she was just there. And some of my biggest regrets in life is not showing up when someone was hurting or when someone that I loved was suffering. Out of fear of not knowing what to say or what to do, I just avoided it. My friends, if we are going to mourn with those who mourn, we have to be there. We have to show up. We don't have to say anything. We don't have to worry about comforting or excusing things away. Because the first commandment is to mourn with those who mourn. And second, later, is to comfort those who stand in need of comfort. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe, like, comment, or share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen. 